The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film <clears throat> critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Shouldn't we say one season or fewer? No. No, I guess less is correct. Less grammar. sounds better. I suppose so. Yeah. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm I'm the contrarian grammarian. Well, see, it's not fewer than one season because they didn't get past one yeah, season. Yeah, I guess it'd just be less than one yeah. season. Yeah. Less than one, fewer than two. Yeah. My the, name is still Whitney Seibold, and I'm still kind of the, the grammar jerk of, of the show. And uh, we love your jerkiness, sir. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're going to be talking about a show that's been on our radar for a while. Uh, mm. We kind of meant to get to it. It sounded kind of weird. And then tragedy struck, and uh, the David Cassidy... Uh, famed star of the Partridge Family, uh, hit musician, mm-hmm. uh, beloved celebrity icon for many decades, teen heartthrob. Yes, one of one, the, one of the great teen one of the great teen heartthrobs. Uh, he he Although passed away the, in the last couple of weeks. Yes, he did. And, and, uh, and rest in peace, David Cassidy. You you contributed a lot. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a fan of his music. Um, I, I wouldn't call him one of our great actors, but he was certainly a very engaging actor. I enjoyed uh, watching him in things. He he had an inimitable charm to him, and uh, he was actually also a, a pretty decent actor, which certainly helped. Yeah, he was fine. Like mm. he he doesn't have like a ton of credits, but anytime he showed up in something, he was always having a good time. Just last month, in our Justice Month of Justice, we ran into David Cassidy mm. in the live action. TV series of The Flash, where he played the villain called the Mirror Master, which was just this sort of random, like, is David Cassidy a mirror-type guy? Why would you immediately go David Cassidy for the Mirror Master? And apparently because they could get him and he was nice. Uh, So, uh... David Cassidy didn't star in a lot of shows mm. after The Partridge Family. The Partridge Family was a huge monster. It was a show oh, about yes. a family of partridges uh, who sang. Mm. I've actually never seen an episode of The Partridge Family. I'm not going to have to admit this right now. It never came up. I have seen the, the Partridge Family, but I was an adult the first time I came across it. Okay. I was familiar with you know the songs and the iconography and the hot mom, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like, I didn't really really delve into the Partridge family. That's sort of like a, a big gap. In how did it, how did it compare to uh, the Brady Bunch? That was the scene as the other Partridge family to people who grew up after those were on the air. Uh, well, the Brady Bunch was a little bit more wholesome. I think the Brady Bunch was kind of like a, a tribute slash send up of a lot of '50s sitcoms. Yeah, my three dads, or no, my two sons, my three sons, my three sons. <laughs> I have all these sons. Wow, you're a bad Gen Xer. Um, <laughs> Mr. Eddie's father. Um, they're, uh, I think of technically Gen Y, but okay. <laughs> I, well, I am too. Yeah. But uh, the Partridge family, in comparison to the Brady Bunch, was, I, I suppose, like the edgier one. 
like a little it was a little bit more music oriented for one yeah uh it had david cassidy so there was a lot of sex appeal on the show and danny bonaducci of course i'm not sure how much i'm not sure how what he brought to the show but i don't know all i know is because they both have d names i always whenever i say david cassidy i almost say danny bonaducci to stop myself there was a while there where i pictured danny bonaducci anytime i said David Cassidy. It's like, like that, Dylan they, like McDermott wires. and Dermot Mulroney. I always like, want to say one and well, end up well, saying I mean, the other. Some, sometimes that happens with actors in your head. For a, while, a long time, they're Glenn Close and Meryl Streep, same person. Like, really? Yeah, when I was in junior high school and I hadn't seen either of their movies that much. Like, they just... They were the same person. They somehow moved into the same cognitive space in my brain. I couldn't tell them apart for a second. Well, anyway, a couple of years after the Partridge family went off the air, mm-hmm. while uh, while David Cassidy was one of the biggest, uh, uh, you okay? Excuse me. Yeah. While David Cassidy was one of the biggest uh, uh, pop music icons of the seventies, he came back to television for a mm-hmm. major starring role in a television series that's Twenty One Jump Street before Twenty One Jump Street and Point Break before Point Break. This is David Cassidy. Man Undercover. Thursday, Dan Che goes undercover to break up a baby's for sale racket which uses college co-eds. How do you custom order a baby? That's what I'm supposed to find out. I pay $1,500 when the girl shows up pregnant. You interested, boy? See David Cassidy, Man Undercover, Thursday on NBC. Yeah, that's some pretty heavy stuff for a David Cassidy show. (laughs) But but you know what? It plays surprisingly well, as we will explore shortly. Um, Wow! We will explore, let's say David David Cassidy, Man Undercover, uh, was 1978, uh, and it actually started its life as an episode of Police Story. Now, Police Story was a different series. It It has nothing to do with Jackie Chan. No, no, no. It was uh, an anthology cop show from uh, 1970. Uh, also it, 78, right? It, it ran for it like started in it ran for like five or six yeah. seasons. Uh, and this was actually the second to last episode of Police Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was an episode called A Chance to Live. It aired on May 28th, 1978. David Cassidy, Man of the Cover, was picked up more or less immediately and started as a series the next that next November. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was basically the plot of 21 Jump Street. There's a bunch of drugs that are moving at a high school. They need to get a cop who looks super young to infiltrate the high school, figure out who's dealing all these drugs, get these kids off drugs, and send the drug dealer to jail. Mm-hmm. And David Cassidy still looks rather young, so they get him to do it. And, and you know what? That's it. That's he, the plot. Well, you know what? He sells it. He sells it. Uh, you, well, 21, buy it. 21 Jump Street wasn't about adults infiltrating high school. It was about high school kids who were deputized and made into cops and who were Fair enough, seeking malfeasance the, in high school. The, the point is it was undercover in high school. Yeah, undercover in high school. Yeah, um, which really was not a thing before this. David Cassidy, uh, I, I forgot to check on his exact age, but he was in his early 20s at the time. Yeah, and, but he He's could playing still, a 25-year-old in the, in the movie. He could pass for a teenager, is my point. And that actually plays into a lot of the way Hollywood has always cast younger people. They always cast older actors anyway, because they're he would have been typically the, better actors. He'd have been about 27, 28 at the time. Okay. He did, he could still play a teenager. No, he's like if we think about it, like a lot of the actors who play teenagers in TV and movies, they're in their twenties, mm-hmm. sometimes late twenties. <laughs> the cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer was mostly in their late twenties when they were playing like college mm-hmm. sophomores. Yeah, yeah. You know, by the time that show was over, they were they were heading to middle age yeah. and they were supposed to be like twenty five. How how old was Seth Green at the end of the show? Like forty eight. He was, was fifty seven. Yeah. <laughs> fifty seven is my understanding. Mm. 
Yeah. So Seth Green is currently 79 years old. <laughs> Looking great, Lo- by the way. Looks great. Seth Green, share your secrets. <laughs> he just does not age. Um, so that pilot episode, which we'll talk about in a minute, that mm. then turned into an episode, uh, a show called David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Now, this isn't David Cassidy is Man Undercover. Which I was upset to learn. Yeah. I was assuming he was going to be playing himself. That's what the title implies. Mm. They put David Cassidy in the title. It should be David Cassidy stars in mm. Man Undercover. But instead, the opening credit says David Cassidy, Man Undercover. And depending on which title screen it is, Undercover is either one word or two. They cannot decide. I I like to think it's one. It should be. I think did, it should be one. Type of, and, and it's all in that really great blocky square 1970s font that every show used. Like Battlestar yeah. Galactica used it. It was everywhere. Beautiful. So it's David Cassidy, Man Undercover, starring David Cassidy as Dan Shea. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, Dan Shea is his character. Yeah, that's... And his specialty is going undercover. Yeah, every every week he goes undercover. It's not always in, in as a young person, which I'm glad they got out of, because that would have gotten old mm. real fast with just the same guy. Like, you're going <laughs> to run out of high schools in Los Angeles before the first season is over. Um, but yeah, the, the episodes send him into different crazy situations. Some uh, uh, crazier than others. Some are, are you're going to sort of recognize from other movies or TV it, shows. It t- took them from movies. I think these are like such common cop show scenarios that you could probably scour the annals of cop shows and movies from like 1950 all the way up to like. 2008 and find these stories just about anywhere. The, the show is at, at turns, like every other episode, ahead of its time or really behind its time. Yeah. Like it'll do a thing where it's like, oh my god, this is the plot of The Fast and the Furious. Holy shit. Like this mm-hmm. is exactly the plot. What the fuck? That's so weird. And the next episode, Convoy. Oh. Oh, because that, that aged just, so well. You're just remember ripping off Convoy. Re- okay. Remember Convoy? <laughs> god. There's um, a, oh, there's a, can I tell a really great story about Convoy? Please. The movie Convoy. Okay, so. Tell people what Convoy is. Well, first of all, some people are young. Uh, okay, Convoy was a big hit song in, I think, 1971. We got uh, like this Convoy, yeah, yeah, by, a beautiful side. By C.W. McCall. And it, it, that guy, it's like a one hit wonder. Nobody knows what yeah. happened to him. But, uh, yeah, he wrote a song about riding in a truck convoy and talking on your, on your CB radio and avoiding Smokey and when that was like a really important part of the culture. I don't quite understand it. Smokey and the Bandit came out of that culture. I think there was I think the idea was for a brief period of time, um, trucker culture, there was a certain mystique to it. It felt yeah. like you're you're it felt like the frontier. You're traveling through the American West. You know, well, going think, from town to town. I think there's there's some there's a romantic yeah. angle to that that fits into our uh, sort of manifest destiny. Yeah, it's kind sort of, of Ameri- shared American Americana. culture. Also, I think a lot of people have called CB radios like pre-internet because you have have your own lingo. It's this own sort of hermetic, sealed off culture that other people cannot invade, and you just sort of meet people like in a chat room. Because ch- chat rooms are so hip now, right? Um, but yeah, C.W. McCall wrote a song about convoy. Sam Peckinpah was enlisted by the studios to make a movie of the song. Now, I think it was Chris Christofferson who was working on the movie. Uh, heard um, Sam Peckinpah was about to be fired. Like, he was out of control and he was yelling at the producers. And he was just so angry that he was working on this terrible film that he had no interest in. And I believe it was Chris Christofferson. Went in and talked oh, he's in to, the movie, so yeah. I, I think, yeah, it just... He, he went into the studios and he actually... Went to the bigwigs and talked to this guy about 
how Sam Peckinpah like really needs the work. This is 1971. He's not the spring chicken he used to be. He's I know he's a little out of control, but please, 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 can you keep him on the project? And Chris Christopherson talked them into keeping Sam Peckinpah. They weren't going to fire him. The next day, Sam Peckinpah banged on Chris Christopherson's door and said, how dare you, you asshole. I, I'm stuck making this movie now. I was trying to get fired. <laughs> It's a great story. That is a great story. Especially if you know Sam Peckinpah. All right, so David Cassidy. Anyway, back to David Cassidy. David Cassidy, Man Undercover, was on NBC from November 2nd, 1978 through January 4th, 1979. And then they aired the last two episodes that following July, because I guess they needed the the content. Um, It was created by a couple of fellows. uh, Larry Brody, who worked on such Cancel Too Soon shows as Silver Surfer, the animated series. Partners in Crime, which we're tracking down as we speak, and The Magician, which is about a magician. Uh, Richard Fielder also created the show. Uh, He worked on the Cancel Too Soon series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, the not-musical show based on the musical musical. Oh, no. He also worked on such westerns as The Tall Man, Gunsmoke, and the TV movie sequel to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Wanted, The Sundance Woman. What? Yeah. What the hell is that? It's all about. It's all about. You're gonna say Butch and Sundance the early years? No, 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 no. Well, that was a prequel. Yeah. Butch the Sundance woman was about what happened to their girlfriend afterwards. Oh golly. Yeah. That sounds awful. I really want to track it down. (laughs) I was able to find a copy online, but it was uh, uh, had it was dubbed in German, so Uh. all I could see was people talking in rooms. Well, just learn German. There you go. That's my problem. You got a mind? Start start learning right now. All right, so the main cast uh, was uh, D- uh, David Cassidy, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he uh, he is joined by uh, his wife, who in the Police Story episode was played by D. Wallace, yeah, E.T.'s mom, uh, also from The Howling. Yeah, D. Wallace is, is awesome. Like I love D. Wallace. Like everything mm-hmm. she's in, she's really really great. I, she's I love really her. good in the movie. She's really good in the in the pilot. I love her in the Frighteners. She plays the maniac. She's good, oh, she good was in the Frighteners. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. I haven't seen the movie from. Um, in the TV movie, she's pregnant, which is an angle they abandoned when the series begins. Well, we'll talk about that. I feel like the series takes place in a slightly different continuity because uh, she's pregnant, and then like the next in the next episode, the kid's like five. Yeah, yeah. It's and then, uh, but they also have to backtrack because at the end of the pilot episode, uh, he decides not to go undercover ever again, and the next time you see him, he goes undercover every week. Uh, Something it, happened it in the, the middle. New, the new premise of the show, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, his boss is Sergeant Abrams, played by Simon Oakland, a not particularly well-known name, but a very well-known actor because he plays the psychologist at the end of Psycho. Well, and just he's in everything. If yeah. you've seen any show made from 1960 to 1980, you've, you've, he was in it. Yeah, he, he was, was in it. You look up his filmography, and he's been yeah. in every TV. He was series. in Colchak the Night Stalker, which yes, we'll get to someday. He was he, also in West Side Story. He was in Bullet. Mm. He's just this great kind of Edward G. Robinson esque tough guy. Yeah, and, it's, and I got the impression that after Psycho, that he became like a go to exposition guy. Like, because at the end of Psycho, he's he plays the guy who comes in at the end of Psycho ex- and just explains psychology the, the for stuff, like ten minutes. He explains the stuff that doesn't need to be explained. Well, it doesn't need Psycho. to be explained now. 
At the time, there were people mm. in the audience who had no idea what the hell was going on, what, what a split personality was, any of that stuff. There, you could kind of get it from what's in the movie, even if you don't know anything about psychology. You didn't need like a ten-minute monologue to get uh, through it. But I, I appreciate that they needed felt the need to explain it, and he just chews on that monologue. He'll do, <laughs> and it's just dry, mm. boring exposition, and he just carves into it with the. One of those, one of those like electric turkey saws, and just ah, I'm gonna eat it all. He's so good, and he plays the guy who says, "Well, Dan, you got to do this this week," mm. and then he's out of the episode. <laughs> it's a thankless job, and then uh, it's a series of guest stars as Dan goes under uh, cover mm. in different locations. Um, but yeah, d- when the show started, D. Wallace was replaced with a, an actress named Wendy Rat- Ratstatter? Rastatter. Rastatter, who did not have a particularly long, illustrious career, but she was in the horror movie Slithis. Okay. Which, Spawn of the Slithis. Yeah. So it's a really disturbing movie. <laughs> I'm just saying, she was in it. Right. That's probably the other thing people have seen her in. Right. Like, that's that's the big one. Mm. Um, so, uh, this this... All right, I guess let's just get into it. So the pilot episode is basically a movie. It's a TV movie. Well, which was the MO of Police Story. Yeah. It, was, it was a series of TV movies. Yeah, I think they were and, often and there, split up, but in like the two there parts. There were but, yeah. occasionally recurring characters, but for the most part, they were each independent stories about new characters every week, and it lasted five or six seasons. Yeah, so this is self-contained. You don't need to know anything to, to get into it. And it opens with just this... I mean, it looks like the opening of any 70s crime movie. It's just Mm. panning over a bunch of street kids, you know, Mm. playing basketball, talking about music or whatever kids are into these Uh, days. It it was also a a pointedly unromantic view of Los Angeles. This wasn't like the city of lights. This is just now a a dirty city of dirty streets. Which I did recognize and I kind of appreciate This was in the middle of a financial crisis in America. People were not in a good spot. So yeah, it's good that we just saw general poverty rather than glam. Yeah, That was Miami Vice's job. So we run into this guy and he's trying to find a drug dealer. Like, "Ah, I gotta get them stuff man and they're trying to give him drugs and he's trying not to take the drugs Mm. and then a bunch of beat cops show up and he takes one puff of like a marijuana cigarette and he has a freak out (laughs) he He just runs around like a maniac and at first I'm thinking is this going to be like reefer fucking madness where they just have no idea what drugs actually are and they kind of don't but not nearly to that level because it turns out he's an undercover cop Mm. and he's got to not do drugs He's also got to try to not blow his cover, so a bunch of cops show up, they could screw everything up. So he engineers the most fucking ridiculous, never trust this guy, he's obviously a narc freak out (laughs) I I think I've ever seen in a movie or TV show. And then he's pulled off of the streets for a while, and he is brought in to recruit other young-looking cops Mm. to go undercover, and he recruits David Cassidy. That's it. That's the premise. Mm-hmm. David Cassidy goes undercover in a high school. It's, well, they, and his high school they, garb is... Um, I like his high school garb because basically it's just anything with a V-neck. V- just anything with a V-neck. You're a V-neck, teenager. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, it had, he had that sort of like really weenie physique that was really big in the 1970s. Yeah, everyone liked looking like a weenie. <laughs> you know, that sort of like caved in chest and really thin midsection and tiny stick legs with the gigantic flare bell bottoms. It was a hip look. Everyone looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. More or less. Yeah. Um, he goes to the high school, mm-hmm. and uh, he befriends some high school students. And, and, he, and he, he, uh, he is remarkably at ease. 
Yeah. There, there's not a lot of, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with these kids anymore. He's a professional cop, and he knows how to what to do and how to do it. Well, so. it's only been like five years since he's yeah, been in high school anyway, so like he still falls I'm, into it pretty easily. I'm glad there wasn't a lot of culture shock humor, is my point. Well, like in 21 Jump Street? Yeah. The movie? Which is a good movie. The movie, the movie is hilarious, but you it's, know that's not what this one's about. <laughs> this is not a comedy show. Well, actually, what I do kind of like about the, this this police story pilot is that it it has a certain amount of respect for the kids, and you get a lot of. Uh, I mean, there are people who are just assholes and are just selling drugs. And there's a bit where they sell drugs to like a middle schooler, and the kid like yeah, ODs in the parking uh-huh. lot, and David Cassidy almost blows his cover because he gets pissed off and beats up the drug dealer right there. And it's just like, there's probably no going back from that, but okay, let's see what you got, David Cassidy. He's a drug dealer. He's used to be getting pummeled, right? Isn't yeah, that but part not of that for, world? But not, but not for moral reasons. You're too immoral. <laughs> Boom. I'm a drug dealer. Like, I don't really... I just sold a bunch of dangerous drugs to an 11-year-old. Of course I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, what did you think? Jesus, Dan, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but there's a lot of, like, but there's also just kids who are doing drugs just because uh, they're stressed. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of scenes where he's just hanging out with the kids, like offsite at somebody's house, and they're just sort of hanging out and talking about their problems. Yeah, and and each of the kids gets like, oh, maybe not each of the kids, but they have. There are a few moments where we get to see sort of their humanity, and they're not just sort of faceless JDs. Well, I mean, the, the, the title of the episode is A Chance to Live, and that's referring to these kids who they're trying to make sure don't fall into a world of doing drugs and dealing drugs mm. because they're running the risk of throwing their whole future away. There's an actual, under, there's an actual like, benevolent quality to the cops here, and uh, to the extent where I feel like it really is kind of sugar-coated. On the other hand, it is nice to see sort of an optimistic portrayal of such things. Um... But no, I just appreciate that there here is a story about getting teenagers not to do drugs, and huge swaths of it don't play like a PSA. They don't play like uh-huh. a public service announcement. That's, a good, that's like, an excellent point. It's actually listen. Here's here's a young woman. She is smart. She's uh, uh, you know comes. She's 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 she doesn't need to do drugs for any sort of economic reason. It's not just like oh, I got to sell drugs for reasons. She's just like I just can't cope. Yeah. I need a mother's little helper, you know, and like that's a thing. Let me just deal with that. Um, one thing I do know, however, is and it, it's kind of throughout the whole series, most of the crime is white people. Yeah, yeah. They just only mostly focus on white people mm. uh, in in the criminal underworld, and I'm no, not, no matter what the crime is. There's like yeah. high end, low crimes, white collar, street crime, whatever it is. It's it's all it's mostly white. People. Well, it makes sense from a narrative perspective because otherwise, how how's David Cassidy going to fit That's in? That's true. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really. So you, have, you have to infiltrate this Latino gang. Yeah, I'm David Cassidy. We're F not. You. Yeah, we're no, not doing no. that. It, it's 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 tricky, sort of culturally. But I, I and I think had the series gone on long enough, they probably would have had to deal with it, and it probably would have been awkward as fuck. Mm. Um, but there you go. Um, but yeah, this episode of uh, uh, Police Story, it's okay. I, have, like, I don't have enough experience with the whole of police. Like, we only watched this episode of Police Story because it connects to David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Yeah, I've actually never seen it before. Uh, yeah, so I'm not terribly familiar, like, how this would stack up with other episodes. Evidently, yeah. there were a series of, like, episodes featuring certain characters that are really well-regarded by yeah. 70s TV aficionados. Well, it was but, one of those shows that was, like, a stepping stone for a lot of uh, actors mm, who would be on Police the, Story. The law and order of its time. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, anyway, this one got a spinoff, and then in November we got David Cassidy, Man Undercover, uh, which has, we haven't really talked about it, 
and I heard a little snippet of it in that clip. Great theme song. <laughs> I love that theme song because it, it sounds perfect mm-hmm. and it's also completely off because the melody makes it sound like a sitcom. But the lyrics are kind of weirdly hard-boiled well, that, until they get weirdly sort of new-agey. And they, well, you get that sort of soul singer sing, right. you know, belting out those lyrics. Yeah. The, the, the 70s were a great time for that, with, for a lot of like... Not not just soul, but a lot of jazz and jazzy kind of loungy I guess theme my, songs. I guess the point is, it's got this disconnect where like the the elements are all there, but they don't actually like pair up terribly well. So you get mm. lyrics like "Hard times, hard crimes, mm. whose soul are you saving? I'll be saving everything for you. <laughs> You're undercover." And I'm like, yes! I don't know what the fuck you're talking about anymore. Initially, you were talking about hard times and hard crimes, and I was with you because it's a crime show. Mm. But then it's like, who's? Then it's like it gets all metaphysical. It's about saving their souls, but I'm saving everything for you, David Cassidy. No, it's, now it's a love song as well. <laughs> you can't just Why shift not? like that. You can't middle of a song. Can you imagine? Like if Uptown Girl just halfway through shifted into being a song about being an undercover cop? Sure, why not? Uptown Girl, you've been living in your uptown world. You want some downers could, could you, and I got them for you. Could you never sing that again? I hate Uptown Girl. <laughs> hate uptown girl. I hate Uptown Girl. But she's been living in her uptown world. Uh-huh. Well, as long as anyone with hot blood uh, can. So, so long as she's over there. <laughs> She can stay far away from me in her uptown world. As we've established recently on Critically Acclaimed, mm. uh, I, Billy Joel's Greatest Hits, Volumes 1 and 2, mm. it's basically the best album uh-huh. ever produced. Mm-hmm. You, you, you keep spreading that lie. It's fine. Bottle of white. <laughs> I will stab you in the eye with a shot. Bottle of red. <laughs> Perhaps a uh. bottle of yeah, because if, 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 if anybody pro- projected soul and attitude, it was Billy <laughs> fucking Joel. <laughs> Okay, so the next episode, the, the first proper episode of David Cassidy, Man Undercover, oh. it's called Running the Hill, and this is just the Fast and the Furious. It's a little bit of Point Break, but it's mostly Fast uh, and the Furious. And did you recognize the special guest star? Well, he wasn't a star yet. No, who was, who was special guest star? Gary Graham, from... st- star of Alien Nation and Robot Jocks. Oh, no, 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 that's the motorcycle episode. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, you're the motorcycle. He shows up in the other Fast and Furious episode. Oh, excuse me. I mixed <laughs> them up. The convoy How episode. silly of me. This episode, uh, there is a bunch of bank robbers mm. in masks, some of which, you know, they're masks. Rub- rubber, whole face Halloween masks. Uh, and uh, they're they're actually, they're, they're robbing, like, banks or grocery stores, whatever they can get their hand on. But they're always uh, driving away in these, like, supercharged cars, and the cops can't catch up to them. Mm-hmm. So they get Dan Shea, who was a bit of a hot rodder when he was in high school, <laughs> to infiltrate all the car clubs that he can find. And he finds out that the cars they've been using are specially tweaked to handle sharp corners, like Tokyo Drift style, mm. in like the canyons in Laurel Canyon. So these are, by the way, like gigantic 70s muscle cars. Oh, yeah. These are boats. <laughs> like, there's no way these things are hitting corners quick, like sharply. So he so he gets himself in a bunch of races with this cool auto racing club, and he gets them to all think that he's super cool, and he gets them to invite him on and their crimes, and he befriends a hot rodder, like the toughest guy, like the Vin Diesel mm. of the group, a guy named Cranberry. That's a real tough name. And they keep yelling out, I'll get you, Cranberry! <laughs> 
I love it. Just let that sink in. Cranberry! I like to think his first name was Dominic. <laughs> Dominic Cran... Yeah. Dominic Cranberry. Cranberry Cran. Cran Cran is in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah. Dominic Cranberry. Cran Barry. Domberry. Domberry. Domberry Nyon. Domberries. <laughs> it's late. It's late. It's 107 a.m. and we're tired. So we're going to make... You silly people. We're just going to com- continue to unravel throughout the course of but the yeah, episode. But yeah, this is the Fast and Furious Laurel Canyon drift. Mm. And it plays out exactly like that. Right down to, oh no, the... He, the guy's like the the heist went wrong, and now he's gonna like burn himself out in one last race. Man, it's gotta beat Cranberry. Doesn't fucking matter. I don't care if I go to jail. It's gotta beat Cranberry. <laughs> be cool or be dead. That's mm. their line. That's their. That's their. Doesn't matter if you win by an inch or by a mile. Winning is winning. But it's be cool or be dead. I'm wondering if this is the Ur example of the Fast and the Furious. I can't think of it because the I mean, Fast and the Furious was a knockoff of Point Break. Yeah, but Point Break could have easily have knocked off this. I mean, this was 1978. I couldn't think of anything earlier that has the same sort of story. Surely there's some exploitation movie, some lost exploitation. Well, I mean, film. Fast and Furious was a 1955 movie, but uh, what did, it didn't have this premise, did it? Uh, With no, the that's bank robbers. That's uh, it's about road racing. Like a trucker gets framed for murder and mm-hmm. takes someone hostage. Yeah, so the yeah. hot the. Hot rotting bank robbers might have begun here. Well, there was the idea of Point Break did this. The idea is that it was a uh, someone going undercover in an, in extreme sports, mm. and the idea of extreme sports as we know it was a relatively recent construct. And yeah, I can't think of an earlier version mm. than like nineteen seventy eight. David Cassidy man undercover. So basically, uh, if you love the Fast and Furious movies, you have David Cassidy to thank. Also, Twenty One Jump Street. Also, to a lesser extent, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> I think, but I can't remember earlier going undercover as a high school. I mean, I guess it might have been a thing. Mm. Someone might have done it. I mean, it probably was a real thing people did. But, like, I... It's, it's a pity he passed because there were, there was a golden opportunity to include him in one of these Fast and Furious sequels as, like, a supervillain or something. Yeah, no one would get it, but it would be really funny. No, some, like, one guy would get it, and those are the best jokes. All right, so episode three... It gets weird and dark. This episode's called, or I guess it's episode two officially of the mm. series, uh, Baby Makes Three. Oh, then this is about the, the baby trafficking ring. Yeah, so a woman... And the, should... there's a lot of, cr- like, really brusque language about how much babies fetch on the open market. Yeah, so the idea is there's a pregnant woman who, like, passes out at a bus station, and David Cassidy finds out that she has basically... Found herself in some sort of clandestine ring at UCLA, by the way. Clear, they don't mention the college's name, but it's clearly UCLA if you live here. Well, they they shot there. Yeah. Most every college scene in every show in Los Angeles was shot at UCLA. Yeah, like whatever, like every, like the college and like Legally Blonde, was it like Harvard? Or, uh, I, I think, it was, I think Har- it was Harvard Law School. I think it was, it was Harvard shot Law at UCLA. Yeah, shot at UCLA. Like, UCLA doubles for every college because mm. it's a good looking school and has and a bunch of different campus. Too, yeah, there's a bunch so. of different buildings on the campus that can look new, old, whatever. It, it, it's a good environment to shoot. Um, but yeah, UCLA is has a baby napping ring mm. uh, in the show. And how it works is <laughs> in real life. Who knows? Who knows? I I, I couldn't say. I'm not going to show say it. definitely. Uh, and the idea is, I guess there's some doctor there, and he's got uh, a, a, a a scheme where people who are rich and want a baby, uh, they don't just want to adopt any baby because who knows where it's been? 
So you pick two cute young people, and then they pay those young people to fuck, Uh and then they fuck until they make a baby, and then she agrees to give the baby up to these rich people. Now, the idea is that some of these people get cold feet, and the baby is just taken from them, like, horrifically. Mm. But the thing is, is that this is actually really close to just surrogate motherhood. It's it's like it, it, underground surrogate motherhood. Yeah, like you're so off, close off the books. You're so close to having a legal business mm. where guys just donate sperm and women agree under contract to carry a baby to term. It's it's not for everybody, but there are people who that, do these that, things. That's a thing. Yeah, that's an actual thing. It's so close to being legal. You <laughs> wonder why they bothered making it illegal. It's an actual business. Was it a business in seventy eight though? I that don't might have know. been a, I don't I also don't know the history of uh the legality of child surrogacy. I'd I think it was legal curious. in seventy eight. I feel like it was a thing. Like if everyone's a consenting adult mm. and agrees to it ahead of time, I, I I don't understand why that's so horrible. The problem is people back out and then people decide to start clubbing people in the head. That's your problem. That's where you took it too far. That's cl- where you made it weird. It was fine until people started clubbing each other. In this episode, we see something, and we've seen it a couple of times before. I think we saw it on the pilot, and then I think we saw uh, in the second episode. And it's a recurring subplot in almost every episode of David Cassidy, Man Undercover. <laughs> and I love this. Almost every episode, there is un- like almost untenable suspense. Just endless suspense built up about how David Cassidy is going to not have sex this week. Well, first of all, he's played by David Cassidy. David Cassidy is one of the world's premier teen heartthrobs. Sure. He walks into a room and every woman wants to have sex with this man. Sure. So if you're going to cast him in a show, you have to address that. You have to address that you have this hot teen heartthrob. So all of the women in all of the stories want to... And he's also like insinuating himself sometimes very intimately into these people's lives. Yeah, like he's... In this one, he impersonates Mm. a college student Mm. who is hired to have sex with somebody and and get them pregnant. In in the pimp episode, there's like a, a woman who like... They have kind of a real relationship... But he has a wife at home, so he can't sleep with well, anybody while he's undercover. Well, two things. One, he has a wife at home. Mm. Oh, by the way, a thankless role if ever I've seen one. She gets like two scenes per episode, and it's always to be somewhat annoyed that Dan can't hang out and then be supportive. Like, that's mm. it. She never has a subplot. She never has she, anything I, she to uh, do. She is unfortunately reduced to a, a kind of stereotypical nag, and it's really a, a pity. Yeah, there are a couple episodes where she's just, you know, she, she gets it, she's cool, but even that's just really really underwriting her like that's that's the most we get of depth is she's cool with him hanging out with criminals mm. get something to do something to contribute anything i beg of you um so th- there's that but also he's undercover he's not allowed to commit crimes he's also not to, not allowed to behave unethically mm. uh, even though he has to look like he's behaving unethically and that's a that's a tough line to, to yeah uh, uh, to, to navigate, and I appreciate when the show does it well. Like, there's an episode where they have to steal a bunch of motorbikes, but they're only stealing bikes that were placed there by the police that they've already, like, mm. taken in impounds or whatever. But then they're asked to, to steal an actual not police bike, and they're like, shit, can we do this? <laughs> what do we do? How do we get out of this? <laughs> gonna look bad like they're gonna shoot us if we like don't yeah like that's actually like a a real thing so he can't sleep with them for for 
business reasons for the for the business of being a police officer and because he's married but they keep bringing it up because it's the obvious place this goes he meets interesting people he gets into deeply ingrained <laughs> into their lives many of them are attractive he's attractive there's gonna be chemistry and he just can't do it you can never do it it's like the closest thing they have to like a, a recurring gag well the recurring gag is what is his going his excuse going to be when he's playing this specific character because he can't use the same excuse every time because it's not going to work for whatever person he is. So he has to come up with some sort of different way of weaseling out of women's arms in every episode, depending on who he's going undercover as. So here he's undercover as, like, a street racer guy. How would a street racer not sleep with a woman? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, he's a pimp. How would a pimp not sleep with a woman? Well, in any case, he mm. stops the baby smuggling ring. Stops the baby smuggling ring. Good job, Dan. Mm. Good job. All right, episode. Uh, the next episode. He always gets his man. There's there's no yeah. tragic, ironic endings in this show. Yeah, it only lasted ten episodes, and uh, I, I feel like I feel like the problem with this show. And on one hand, it's more varied than the human target, mm-hmm. which is Rick Springfield, man undercover, basically. <laughs> but the idea was Rick Springfield was under such so much of a good such a good disguise that he was played by a different actor the whole time. When it's just David Cassidy, you see him kind of struggling to come up with new mm-hmm. ways to get out of stuff. It, it, it's a little bit more interesting. He's a little bit more screwed. Um, but I think and it, the episodes are more varied. Than we had in the human target. Yeah. Because like, every episode really does feel like a completely different movie. And I think that was a good approach. But I do think there isn't enough connective tissue. Like, it, maybe it would have been better if there was some mysterious big bad. Like, every once in a while they'll talk about, ah, the syndicate. The syndicate is moving in. And I'm like, what if it's the same syndicate every time and there's like a Mr. Big at the top of it? Oh, no. That, that would have that been too corny. Oh, I, well, I think... like, well, you don't have to make it corny. It has to be Mr. Big. But you know what I mean? It's like, Ooh. you know, Mendoza! We gotta get into. No, we still can't get close to Mendoza. This time we're gonna try to get into his like his arson ring. Give him, give him a goal. Give him someone to work towards. Just crime. Crime was enough. You get the stories without Mister Big. It's fine. I don't like your Mister Big idea. <laughs> Re- rework it and come back. Come back to me and no, tomorrow. All right. So episode. Uh, the next episode is Cage of Steel. Mm. This is actually an episode that we saw in the Human Target. He has to like go into jail. He has to become jailed, befriend a guy who's like running a crime ring from inside the jail, and pretend to be a computer hacker, which is actually really uncommon in the late 70s. WizKids would still several years off. Although the director of the pilot did three episodes of WizKids. Okay, Corey Allen is a guy we're going to run into so many times. Because <laughs> Corey Allen has done so damn much. Corey Allen did everything. everything. Bless you, Corey Allen. Corey Allen did... Uh, Four episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He did five episodes of Next Generation. Mm-hmm. He did a few short-lived sci-fi series from the 80s that I hope we can find. Oh my god, he has um, so many. And uh, he, back, back in the 70s, did a musical porno version of Pinocchio. Now, is this the one that had the tagline, it's not just his nose that grows? I believe it was. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite tagline ever. And I think there are two cuts. I think the version he did had no hardcore sex, but I think... Some producer found the film and like edited some in. Well, so you can find both versions. Totally classic. Mm. I actually have very little memory of this prison episode just because it literally was just I, the episode of Human Target again. I watched most of these late at night and I'm not sure how much of this show I dreamed. <laughs> um, a lot of the details are starting to like blend together in my brain. I can say for sure that this was more interesting than the episode of Human Target. And in uh, fact, I think this whole series is just like the good version of the Human Target. The Human Gooder, Target, yeah, better. Well, 
I, I said on the Human Target episode that it felt like 22, 20 years after its time. Like, yeah. Like, it was too late. By the 1990s, we didn't care about a premise like this, but you set this in the 70s, you've got something. Now we have David Cassidy, another pop star, doing this. It's exactly what I asked for. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. It's still not great, <laughs> but it works a hell of a lot better. All right, the next episode is Deadly Convoy. This is the one with the convoy. This is the one with the convoy. This is also the one with Gary Graham from Gary. Robot Jocks and Alien Nation, the one that has basically the same plot as uh, the, the Fast and the Furious episode, except they're motorcyclists. Mm. And they have to infiltrate a motorcycle ring. This one also has... Uh, um... yeah. Oh, wait, I'm, th- I'm confusing. There's another guest star, but she actually pops up in another episode. Catherine DeBell pops up. Chris, in, Kristen DeBell. Kristen DeBell, but she's yeah. in another episode. Yeah. Um, and it's only like a cameo, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, they have to infiltrate. He actually gets a partner this time. It's Gary Graham. Gary Graham is actually cool. I like Gary Graham a lot. He's got a actually. lot of personality. I, yeah, he's, he's, I think he's a, a pretty good actor. He's very casual. He has that Jeff Goldblum quality. It's nice that uh, David Cassidy has a fellow cop to talk to in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it gives them a lot of opportunity for dramatic asides to oh. build suspense in ways that the show often doesn't have. Because there's a lot of scenes that just keep going. Mm-hmm. And you know where they're going because he's undercover cop. And you just kind of just like, and I'm just waiting for them to find out. David <laughs> like that's it. I'm just waiting for well, them to find out. The time. Something we haven't brought up yet is actually there's a home base that David Cassidy continues to return to, uh, where he meets up with his superiors. But there's also a whole team of other cops, and I assume that there are a lot of other undercover cops, like in the ba- in the basement of this one building where they yeah. meet. And I also got the impression that this undercover cop program was a little bit shady, like it was mm. done sanctioned by the LAPD, but it wasn't like the main branch. It was like some sort of sub-branch of the LAPD. They, they, they get to operate under their own rules a little yeah. bit. They it get also, to pick their own cases. That theory makes sense because he's going undercover really, really frequently. Yeah, Undercover cops don't go undercover like week after week. They usually stay, people, yeah. they stay undercover in one role for years and years. And they off, and if they do do that thing where they go undercover really, really quickly, mm-hmm. you can't do that all the time in the same neighborhood. People are going to recognize <laughs> right, you. in L.A. every It happens once and in he the looks show. Like, he looks like David Cassidy. He's never in disguise. He never, yeah. like, he never he, is wearing a beard. He, has he never like changes a, his hair. He has a weird accent, maybe. I think he has a limp in one episode, and that's it. It's like, <laughs> really? That's all you got? Uh, so basically, in this one, uh, they're trying to get in with a motorcycle gang that is stealing scooters, specifically, mm. and they're going to take them in a convoy down to Mexico. Uh, Black market scooters. The uh, the bad guy is actor number five. You never saw him before. You'll never see him again. But his like third in command is Ed Harris. <laughs> Academy Award nominee Ed Harris not, not from Pollock even, and the Right Stuff and the Truman Show. Not even uh, credited at the the head of the episode. He was no. nobody yet. Way in the back, and he has hair, which is weird. Uh, he gave up on hair. hair pretty quick. He but gave he, up on a full head of hair pretty quick. He's worn wigs in movies and stuff. So, yeah. But this this is him like with a mane. Like, looking really cool. It's true. We, I don't think we've seen him with this much hair. The problem with this episode is they set up this this convoy. They keep talking about there's going to be this convoy. And you think about there's going to be a convoy and a cop show. You think it's going to be a big action sequence. Like, Fast and the Furious. Or, you know, it predates the Road Warrior. But that's what you think of when you think of a some, convoy. Some action. gigantic chase with, like, 50 vehicles. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool, right? You see this convoy going down. And then they set up a roadblock. And the convoy stops. 
Uh-huh. That's the action climax. It worked. Will they stop for the roadblock? Yes. It's, this was not the 80s yet. They didn't have to go full bore stupid. Your action <laughs> I stars wish could they be, had. Your action stars could behave a little more sensibly in 1978. All right. Uh, so epi- the next episode is Flashpoint. Mm. Um, which uh, uh, David Cassidy befriends a young woman who just moved to Los Angeles and helps keep her from becoming a prostitute. I, I like this one. It's fine. It's, I I, th- I felt that there was a lot of intimacy, sort of the, the conversations he had with this woman. Going undercover this time was more about redeeming her than it was about uh, stopping the crime. Mm. So it became a little bit more about interpersonality and less about plot. And that was a refreshing break in the pace. Yeah. And I liked her. I liked her a lot. I she thought was she great. was a good character. She was kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Um, episodes. Okay, I actually don't know how to pronounce mm. the title of the next episode. It's RX for Dying. Is that Prescription mm. for Dying? Is that I how think, you just say Prescription for Dying? Or is it RX for Dying? You just say RX for Dying. Okay, so this one stars Barry Nelson <laughs> from The Shining. He plays the guy who gives Jack Nicholson the job in The Shining. He was also the first person ever to play a live action version of James Bond. In a TV That's movie right. version of Casino Royale, starring Peter Lorre as Le Chief. It's in, actually pretty good. In 55? What's yeah. that, I want to like say? Like, mid-50s. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You can track it down online really easily. Like, it's it's it's, play, it's Casino Royale, just, like, really condensed. He's not James Bond. He's Jimmy Bond. Yeah, he's American. Of course he is. <laughs> um, but it's a novelty, and he's fine in it. And uh, here he plays a, a doctor who will just... You tell him, I need meth... And he just gives you meth. He's like, he's, "Oh, you need to lose weight." Clearly, he's he's Doctor uh, 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 Doctor Nick Riviera from The Simpsons, just a total hack, and he'll just give you prescription. You see any for trauma? Anything. Oh yeah, tons of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's about infiltrating this sort of crooked ring of pharmacists. Yeah, it opens really cool. It's actually one of the few episodes that has like an opening that's that's like the end of a previous episode because the cold, the cold open. Yeah. yeah so uh, David Cassidy is undercover at some sort of union gig. He He's uh, transporting illegal goods in the back of his truck. There's a big car chase. There's an action sequence. And there he meets uh, Christine DeBell, mm-hmm. uh, who you might remember from A Talking Cat. <laughs> and also the porno version of Alice in Wonderland. Um, yeah, she's she's just fine in both. She's a charming actor. Oh, she's great, actually. Mm-hmm. She, I, I've always really liked her. Um, but she's in it really, really briefly. At the beginning, there's a big action sequence. And they think they're, dressed, they're, uh, they're busting... Like a meth lab, but it turns out they're actually make like dealing in prescription drugs, and they mm. have to infiltrate a different part which of is, the criminal underworld, which is topical. Very because, topical. Uh, Real thing. Prescription drug addiction. You know, it's a, a still a big blight in this country, but I think it just came into the public eye at around that time, like in the mid mid to late seventies. Yeah, and so this was sort of a ripped from the headlines attempt at sort of cashing in at what was what was really hot at the time. I, I like Prescription for Dying as the as an episode because it's one of the episodes where it's not really so much about David Cassidy as it is about Barry Nelson, and you see mm. Barry Nelson. As a guy who is in a really difficult spot, he has done some really horrible things. And he really is, feels guilt for them, but he's trapped. He can't not. He do has it to anymore. keep on doing it. And uh, his daughter is is in the episode, and the relationship with his daughter is actually a big moment of drama. Yeah, and there's a really great scene where uh, she confronts him. She finds out. Finds from, out. She's like, uh, "I'm sorry, I had to find out this way." She's like, oh, "What's a good way to find this out?" And yeah, then she's, she's furious at her father, and, and she, so she, she says, explodes. "Well, well, you know what I'm going to do since this is just sort of out there on the streets, and you've been giving drugs to all these people. I'm going to do them." 
because I I'm stressed out. This is terrible. I feel like I need this stuff, and now I can get it, and it's she all and it's all in your hands. Yeah, she immediately ODs. Well, she, she it's kind, super melodramatic. She kind of does it on purpose. Well, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's that's really horrible. No, it's it's actually like and it's, it's really good, good drama. Good drama. Yeah, 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 that's actually this is probably horrible. My I mean, as as I mean in like wrenching, not like bad drama. It's very good drama. All right, episode eight. David Cassidy goes undercover at an Italian market. And uh, just the market tries to do kind of a Guido accent and is just like a delivery guy. And it's It's not good. What? (sighs) This is a terrible episode because it's all about him trying to catch an arsonist. Mm. And like his whole thing is I'm going to go undercover at a store in the local neighborhood. I'm like, you can just hang out. You don't really need to. (laughs) You don't need to do anything. Like We don't really need an undercover guy for Mm. this one. This isn't really like he's not staying in one spot. He's like a delivery guy. Like he comes and goes. That's not undercover. You need to do like a police squad episode where he opens a business there Mm. and waits for them to try to muscle him out. That's yeah, that's your in. There's another episode. Um, um, uh, in a little bit that makes no sense to me from a from an undercover perspective, but let's move on because I remember nothing from the arson episode. I remember the ar- so boring. The arsonist was in the hire of some local toughs who were trying to muscle out other businesses. But that's the it. arsonist himself was kind of a Weasley dude, and I liked that he wasn't a mean guy. He was just sort of a, an arsonist for hire who was stressed out about his job. Hey, you know, being an arsonist is hard work. All right, so in the next episode. Teammates, mm. Dan Shea teams up with the FBI to bust a gang of drug runners. No, not oh. drug runners, gun runners. Gun runners. Gun runners. All they're all running. Well, the, everyone the, runs something in this in this in the show. Running is a terrible crime. And yeah, it needs to be stopped. Run, and it, and runner, it, and it requires a lot of <laughs> a lot of undercover people who are under thirty, <laughs> evidently. So uh, David Cassidy has to become a weapons expert like overnight, and there's mm. whole scenes where he like. Goes into a business meeting with all these guys who deal in serious guns, and Dan just pulls out like a grenade and it's like, I'm gonna blow us all up if you don't do the deal. And they're like, We respect you now. <laughs> There's one thing I've learned from watching David Cassie undercover is that if you're ever involved in a criminal organization and someone shows up and is like really good at everything and is exactly what you've always been looking for, you're about one week away from getting busted because mm. they're an undercover cop. But none of the criminals have figured this out. Yeah, it's so always like, like, oh, he's too good to be true. So let's invite him let's in and tell him all him. our secrets. <laughs> we got so lucky. Thank God this guy who looks like David Cassidy is here. It's too good to be true. Good thing it is true. <laughs> oh, by all means, here's my open safe. You know, it's... <laughs> criminals kind of have to be dim bulbs in, in a show like this because you have to have the cop be the one to outsmart them. And if David Cassidy is your guy... <laughs> the next episode is called Night Work. This is the episode where David Cassidy goes undercover as a pimp this time, mm. and the main plot is he really likes pretending to be a pimp. Yeah. His like, wife finally is... has something to actually be like, to get involved in, mm. and the whole thing is when he's at home, he still acts like a sexist creep. Because he's kind of enjoying it, he likes yeah. he likes the role a little too much, which is really dark. Actually, <laughs> like this is the one. This is the one you like. It's the one where you get to treat women well, like shit. What the, the fuck, David Cassidy? The, the thing that always ba- that kind of baffled me. Uh, I I went to Star Trek conventions as a youth. Okay, I'm curious where this is going. There were people who dressed up as Starfleet officers. Starfleet's best and brightest. You're trying to project yourself into a much more capable persona. And then there are the people who like to dress up as Klingons. Who are essentially pirates, and they drink grog and beat each other up. It's like uh, Star Trek pirates. You want to be the pirate part of Star Trek? 
Well, I think there's, a, but there's an appeal. Here's the thing. It's fun to play the pirate at the Star Trek convention. Yeah. And go, yar, and drink grog. Sure. So, yeah, he, he gets to sort of let loose a, a little bit with this But this isn't at a persona. convention where you're not actually doing anything for real. He actually is but engaged the, the, the in this community, and it's really per- dark. The show's perception of being an undercover cop is hard, far less grizzled than I'm sure it really is in real life. I guarantee and you that's true. it feels a lot like essentially cosplay before but it's cosplay. In this so episode, he's just cosplaying a pimp. In, in this, this episode, he's, having he's a good time. really screwing with people's lives, though. Like, he's trying to, like, uh, uh, get another pimp to come out of hiding by, like, poaching some of his talent. Mm. And he goes to a, an experienced uh, uh, prostitute and tries to convince her to leave her current employer and come see him. And, 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 and work for him. And she just flat out says, if I do this... This guy, mm. he doesn't. He's not going to like oh, go. Oh, oh well. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good for her. He's not going to do that. <laughs> she said he, he's going to cut up my face, and then she says, "But I don't care because I'm in love with you." Mm. And I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, I, I love you more than my own." I know face. he's David Cassidy, but he's also acting like an asshole. He's not acting like I'm going to be the the good version of this and everyone's going to be happier under my employ. He's acting like the shitty version of that. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't follow. It's really frustrating. This is not a good episode of mm. David Cassidy Man to cover. The last episode of David Cassidy Man to cover is a great title. Mm. Death is my friend too. Death is my friend too. Mm. Hello the- darkness my good friend. Uh th- and this I think is David Cassidy's best performance on the show. Uh, I will. I will agree to that. This because is when he's actually acting. He he has to go undercover as essentially uh, like a, a tweaked out drug addicted homeless guy, more or less. Yeah, and has to communicate with other tweaked out drug addicted homeless people to track down who's been spreading drugs in the streets. Uh, no, he's not. He's actually trying to. Here's the thing with this episode. Mm. It would be one thing if he was trying to figure out who's selling drugs. That would actually make sense. In this episode, the people they're trying to capture are bank robbers. Wait, what? Yeah. I thought they were drug dealers. No, they were bank robbers. The idea is they are bank robbers, and after they rob a bank, they Uh. go on a huge spending spree in this, like, neighborhood, and they hole up with a lot of prostitutes and throw a lot of money around, and then they rob another bank. So they send David Cassidy to go undercover, befriend another drug addict, not dealer, not an <laughs> addict, drug, right, yeah. just some addict, and the hopes that maybe that guy will run into these bank robbers. Okay, I, it doesn't work. I, uh, okay, I thought they were like bank somehow bankrolling their drugs, and they were. St- I thought there was some drugs strange. They're just bank here. robbers. They're just bank robbers. It makes. And okay. he's not even going undercover with the bank robbers. He's going undercover with some guy. Clearly, I dreamed this episode. <laughs> this would be like finding out that like someone in your neighborhood was a drug dealer, mm. and your cover is you move into the neighborhood and hang out and don't really do a lot, mm. and then just ask someone once, "You know any uh, drug dealers?" And then they would say, "No." And then maybe a couple of weeks later, they find out about some drug dealers and tell you. Well, the the pitch of the episode was clearly his relationship with this other drug addict. Yes. And and how... He's a real sad sack. Like, he's got a really shitty... Yeah, he's he's kind of a pathetic guy, and he really has a lot of self-pity. He doesn't have any friends, so when David Cassidy comes in and says, I'm your friend, he really believes him, and that's the emotional tension there. 
it doesn't make any sense because the plot doesn't make any sense, though. Right. But now, the if, relationship between these two actors is actually very good. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very sweet. It's very And we see a lot of the story from his perspective. And I think if the episode had done this really daring narrative thing where David Cassidy was hardly in it and we saw the entire case from this one guy's perspective. That would have been cool. We actually. only see like a piece of the crime. That would have been fine. Yeah. And that we would have had the same scenes where David Cassidy also like a little bit tweaked out of his mind is trying to get information from this guy, but also help this guy and just be a good friend to this guy. Also knowing in his heart that he's lying to this guy. Mm. So all of that drama was really great. Yeah. All of the relationship with this guy and this guy were all really, really great. Yeah. This is probably David Cassidy's finest Mm. hour as an actor in a plot that makes no fucking (laughs) sense at all. It's annoying. I, it's, you know, you know the studio like passed down a note saying, "Hey, I guess it's been too many drug dealers. They're just bank robbers now." At this point in the series, it's over now. But yeah. by this point in the series, I was watching this, and I'm seeing David Cassidy like insert himself into this guy's life. And this guy is—I mean, he's not good at it, but he's actually trying to get his life together. Mm. He's trying to kick drugs. He's trying to have a relationship with a woman. Um, he's trying to get his life together, move away, get a real job. But David Cassidy keeps having to, like, shove him back Mm. into the field. And I realize so much of the show is David Cassidy encouraging people to do things that are not in their best interests. They're actually, like, jeopardizing their life and their careers Mm. uh, because they are connected or even only tangentially connected to real serious crime. David Cassidy spends a lot of the show just playing God. <laughs> He's More just or less, fucking yeah. with people's lives this whole time. Like they, I almost kind of want to see like that version of it. It's like touched by an angel, but the angels want to want to ruin your life. And David Cassidy plays the angel because it's pretty mm. close to what we're doing here. He just yeah. inserts himself into someone's life, mm. makes it worse for a while, gets him out of it at the last possible second, like the cat in the hat, and then that's it. That's mm. the episode. That's most episodes. You look at it from the other perspective. It's weird. Mm. If David Cassidy, Man Undercover, had gone 100 episodes, I'd be very surprised. <laughs> because the thing with this show is, much like The Human Target, it sounds like a good idea until you realize you got to come up with a new one of these every week. And then David Cassidy, Man Undercover, you got to do it in the same city. There's, uh, LA There's, seems like a look, huge community, but once you actually get into the inner workings and the subcultures and the and the communities, it's not. He's going to blow his cover a bunch of times. There's a great series to be had, like a truly great TV series that can be formed out of these two shows. <laughs> <laughs> look, you can cast a pop star. I don't care. <laughs> but if there was a way to have this... Justin under- Bieber, human undercover. Sure. <laughs> but he also has... Maybe not sort of like the science fictiony mask technology, but mm. he's very good at uh, being in disguise. Mm. And you get somebody who is actually kind of a little bit of a cipher or a little bit chameleonic who can actually play these different roles. Then you got something. Got somebody who isn't good at being in disguise, who does know the ins and outs of cr- of the criminal underworld, who is not quite operating under the auspices of the LAPD, but who is definitely a cop and wants to stop crime. And has to go undercover every week. That's a good show. Yeah. I mean, you can do an undercover show. I mean, God knows we've had those. Usually undercover shows, though, are about people undercover for a long period of time. Mm. That is actually more interesting. I, I realize this is way before 
they were doing seasonal arcs on shows like this. But a seasonal arc for something like David Cassidy and Man Out of Cover really would have been a better way to go. You could really get ingrained into the entire criminal community. You can build up a whole cast of characters. Mm -hmm. And you can constantly have that threat of, is his cover going to be blown? Is his marriage going to fall apart? Is How is this seriously going to affect everything and everyone around him? And how much danger can he possibly be in? When you have to resituate him in every episode, it starts straining credulity really, really, really fast. Well, this was it was set in the seventies, so a lot of the show takes place in just like boring brown rooms. Like a lot of the action in this entire series takes place in like apartments and stuff yeah. where people are having or maybe out on a dirty street corner. There's not enough visual variety to really convey the fact that he's actually exploring a different crime every week. Sure. Uh had You got confused as to what crime was committed. Uh, yeah, and week. I mixed like, up two episodes. It it's yeah. yeah, so um had it a little bit more visual variety, like he has to now like solve a white collar crime, and now he has to do like a dog fighting ring. And if they had like better production values to have different sets in different places where he could fight these different crimes, then it would have worked a lot better. Because all of a sudden there is this visual variety, and you do get the sense that he it does do these very extreme things week after week, and that's more exciting to watch. Maybe less believable. But I don't mind. I think the thing that they should have done is, because this is a spinoff of Police Story, and Police mm. Story was an anthology series. Mm. There might be some recurring characters once in a while. I'm not super familiar with Police Story, but the idea was it was a news story every single week. Police Story ran its course. We don't need another Police Story. But what we do have is a show in which a pop star goes undercover and solves a crime. Mm. Make that an anthology and have a different pop star every week. Uh. BG's Undercover. I'm not sure how many pop stars they could have gotten. Blondie though. undercover. Okay, Debbie Harry would not agree to do a show like that. Karen Carpenter undercover. I would pay good money to see that. Olivia Newton-John undercover. Oh, could, let's let's get Debbie Boone involved in this somehow. Sly undercover. Next episode, the Family Stone goes undercover to save Sly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard and Skinnerd, they're cops. Joey Ramone undercover. <laughs> That's a that, good idea, damn it. It wouldn't work. He only looks like Joe Ramon. Who would he go undercover Simon as? Simon goes under undercover to oh. arrest Garfunkel. Okay. Simon versus Garfunkel. Undercover. I'm, I actually am now that you say that, I'm kind of surprised that doesn't exist. Earth, wind, and fire team up to solve the murder of water. <laughs> Okay. Okay. You're leave. You're out. (laughs) You're fired. Get out of here. The Doobie Brothers go undercover to investigate who's selling all these doobies. (laughs) The guess who in a whodunit? (laughs) Oh golly! You actually wrote a bunch down, didn't you? (laughs) Thank you, Google. (laughs) The big star episode was not successful. That's a music joke. Um, <laughs> was David Cassidy Man Undercover canceled too soon, Whitney? Um, yeah. You think so? You think I, this had I, life to it? I, I could have I stood a lot more of this. Again, how, how if, much? If they had given it a little bit more production value and they had focused a little bit more on the writing, this is a fine premise for a good, long-lasting show where you have a good case of the week. Eh. I, it needs a little bit more wit. It needs a little bit more levity, perhaps. Um and it needs to move a lot more quickly. Well, uh, what I was surprised at, but honestly, but I have no problems with David Cassidy or any of the characters or the actual premise. I think I think the premise, much like Human Target, is kind of inherently flawed when you do an episodic mm. version of it. It's not as flawed as the Human Target because the Human Target has all these weird artifices that mm. simply do not 
make any sense. And and uh, certainly David Cassidy had better ideas for episodes than the Human Target did, which is fucking sad because Human Target had years to develop this concept. They were based on comic books. They were actually very successful. It's bizarre how lame most of the episodes of Human the tar- of the Human Target was <laughs> compared to a show about David Cassidy going undercover and busting criminals. Um, I, dish- I don't think the show was canceled too soon. I think it had a pretty good run. I will say this, though. None of the problems of this show are David Cassidy. No, it, he's, you, he's the strongest part of the show. When when David Cassidy passed away, uh, this was... I mean, most people don't even know about it, but anytime someone brought it up, it was just sort of just this weird footnote in his career. Like, huh? Isn't that kind of funny? He was in a show called David Cassidy, Man Undercover. He was good in David Cassidy, Man Undercover. <laughs> the title of the show is ridiculous. The mm. credit sequence makes it look absurd. But, yeah, he, he got to stretch his acting chops a little bit, and I think he proved... That, yeah, I don't think he ever would have won an Oscar or anything like that, but I think he proved he really could have held a dramatic show mm. if he had had a show that felt less gimmicky than this. If you just put mm. David Cassidy in a cop show, just a cop show, plays the, the, the young guy who's new to the force, learning well, the ropes, whatever that, you, it'd be, it would be an ensemble ca- cop show. I think show, it would though. be, but I think he would have fit into it. Mm. I think he could have uh, used that. If he hadn't been foregrounded so much, this would have seemed less like a joke and more like a real show. It is a real show, but it doesn't seem like it at a glance. If this had been more of an ensemble cast, if maybe we had had more of these undercover operatives, they don't all have to be played by pop stars, but it'd be cool if some of them were. <laughs> I think he, he really would have been able to prove that he could hang with this because most of his performances in this show, they're as good as anything else that was on the air at the time. He's, he's no Beretta, but who well, is? Like, well, when you think about some of the people who became like huge TV stars, someone like David Hasselhoff. Mm-mm. David Hasselhoff. I've seen a lot of David Hasselhoff. He's never been as good an actor as David Cassidy is in, in like the last episode of David Cassidy, Men Undercover. Well, but David Hasselhoff was when sort of cheese was just infusing every bit of our television diet. Okay, I'll grant you. Later. Compare him to like Mannix. Or you know the or Co- really Kojak or any of the cop shows that were kind of big at the time could have been fine. Well, like, you compar- think about comparatively, these- comparatively. Well, I mean, you think and about- I think this is why I like this show. You you look at some of these other cop shows from the 1970s, and they're all these really grizzled. Yeah, older sharp, men, sharp featured older guys that are all alcoholics, or they're like maybe they're charming, but they're yeah, they're older. They're they're a little bit worn. Yeah, they're, they're grizzled in a, a really kind of universal type of way. They all resemble themselves so, each David, other in their grizzledness. David Cassidy and, is not new to the force. He certainly has he's a skilled but, police officer, but he is still fresher and he's more idealistic. He he's a kid and he's also a charming good-looking kid and he's a lot more fresh-faced and open. The show probably failed because of David Cassidy's the the qualities we admire about him is sort of his openness and his charm and his innocence because that wasn't really hip at the time. We weren't seeing a lot of shows about openness and joy and innocence. We were seeing a lot of grizzled and realistic cop dramas. And again, you know, you think about, like, people get pigeonholed really mm-hmm. early in their career. David Cassidy was a pop star. He was a teen idol. And he was the guy from the Partridge family. Mm-hmm. Suddenly shoving him into a gritty cop drama is a tough sell for a lot of people. And I can appreciate why people stayed away. I don't think it was a particularly good show. I, God knows we've seen worse. <laughs> That's for sure. But, like, it's not particularly good. Like, I wouldn't, like, tell anyone you have to go mm. see David Cassidy, Man Undercover. If you're a big fan, yeah, it's worth seeking out. But, like, generally speaking, it's it's not that 
amazing. It's, it's one of the shows that's more interesting to talk about than it is to actually watch. When we're coming off of Human Target, a mm. show that did a very similar premise, just so much worse, it was just nice to see it function so much better. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just colored because I came off Human Target, but yeah, I, I think I think the show worked just fine, and I think had it lasted a little bit longer, it could have refined itself a little bit better and turned into something actual of quality. Okay, well uh, that's it. That's it for David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Cassidy, rest in peace, sir. You will be missed. Uh, but next week we're going to be doing something very different. Mm-hmm. We have never done a talk show before. No, and there's a couple we really want to do. Uh, I'm still looking for the Chevy Chase show, but... Uh, we'll find we'll, it eventually. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But we had a lot of requests for a 1991 television series with a very unusual premise called Fishing with John. Fishing with John starred uh, musician John Lurie, uh-huh. and in every episode he takes a famous person fishing. They go out on a boat and they just talk. It features people like... Dennis Hopper is on it. Yeah, Willem Jim, Dafoe. Uh, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Tom Waits. Strange, uh-huh. strange people. It has been released by the Criterion Collection, so it's relatively easy to find if you mm-hmm. want to follow along with it. Um, it's Yeah, it's a cult talk show. And uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that works and whether or not we can make that work as an episode mm-hmm. of the podcast. Because there are certain types of shows we haven't really done. We haven't really done a lot of... Uh, much in the way of reality television. We tried a game show once. Mm. Um, we need to do more just, of it, though. We need, to, we need to expand our horizons a little bit, and this feels like a, a, a good toe in the water where there's also fish. Yep. Yeah, so uh, that will be For, coming up next week on Cancel Too Soon. I've heard this called like the most relaxing TV show ever because it is just two guys fishing. That sounds great. Yep. I'm super <laughs> excited about that. Uh, uh, letters? Yeah, so if you want to email us, uh, you can email us soon at gmail.com. Remember, canceled has only one L in it, and yes, that's proper spelling. Yep. Yeah, it sure Amer- is. Americans screwed that up. Like we screw up a lot of things. Oh, politics! Uh, I'm kidding, of no, course. Except I think I'm not. The, the European spelling has two L's. The American spelling has one. But people just started using the European spelling at some point in the last couple of years, and now there's just no difference. They're the, both acceptable. The important thing is that one of us is guaranteed to be right. And we're guaranteed to be right every sure. time. Yeah, we're why never not? Wrong. What the hell? Even when I mix up TV But anyway, uh, you can email us. Tell us what you thought about the shows. Did you watch any of these shows when they were currently on the air? Mm-hmm. Very fascinated to see what you thought about David Cassidy, Man Undercover in 1978. Um, but uh, also you can send us suggestions. We don't read all the suggestions on the air because it's usually just the list. Mm-hmm. And it's always, if it meets our rules, we add it to that list. Um, but uh, yeah, let's see what we got. Uh, this one comes from Adam. Hello, Adam. Adam. Adam writes in kind of frequently. Hello. It's nice to see you again. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, let me just say that your review and discussion about the new It movie a few episodes ago felt like the B-Movies podcast reunion, uh. which might sound strange for obvious reasons. Well, it's not a reunion. It's just still us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wanted to let you know that I truly miss your insightful commentaries on the world of film. Well, we're back. Yeah, this has this, been a... This was written before we we launched our new podcast, Critically Acclaimed. Yes, which you can hear on the Schmoes No mm-hmm. iTunes network. Uh, it's free. You get us and a whole bunch of other shows uh, by that uh, particular uh, network. We Our show premieres every Sunday. We review new movies. We also do double features of good and bad movies. Uh, hopefully you already know about that, but just in case, uh, that's that's going on. And you can also uh, listen to it on YouTube on the SK Plus YouTube channel. It's all very, very good sale. Now Thank who's you. cosplaying as a pimp? 
That would be you, That would be David Cassidy. David David Cassidy, Cassidy too. Anyway, this time I'm mostly writing with a sort of behind-the-scenes question. On a couple of occasions, you've mentioned on your podcasts the cinema snob and once even nostalgia critic. Mm. I wonder, what other YouTube personalities works do you appreciate? Oh. I, too, like what Brad Jones does on his channel a lot, and I'm a huge, huge fan of James Rolfe. Not only his angry video game nerd series, obviously, but also Monster Madness. It's such an insightful and beautiful work of true passion. It made me watch horror movies from the 30s and 40s passionately. Lots of many hugs, Adam. Um, I I follow Red Letter Media a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're sort of online-only personality. We reviewed the film they did, Space Cop, on the B-Movies podcast. Oh, yeah, I remember that. A way is back. Vaguely. They're, they're, they're really snarky and cynical, and I appreciate that. Sure. Um, yeah, I love uh, I love Brad Jones. Um, I think he's got a good tone where he's halfway between mm-hmm. film critic and MST3K. Uh, I like Obscurus Lupa a lot. She always brings a lot of positivity to a lot of her reviews, even when she's reviewing total crap. But my favorite is when she finds something like just no one seems to care about, like no one talks about, and then mm-hmm. she just pours love all over it and she'll do like an entire series that discovers every episode of Baywatch or uh, um, she did the witchcraft films yeah. at some point so you're the you and she are the, the only two people who've seen every witchcraft movie so although, well done although from since I've seen all the witchcraft movies I thought they stopped at 13 but evidently there's like two or three more now. oh my god so I, I need to do that I need to start catching up again you do so need I to think she's a little bit ahead of me oh I also uh, uh, fail in Porteous um, I particularly like his. You made up that name. No, he's he, yeah. he's cool. He does a lot of. Uh, he started out doing mostly horror reviews. Mm-hmm. Lately, he's focused more on really bargain basement animated movies. Okay, which are really really fun to see explored. He also has a great show. I think it's called Bootleg Jones, Bootleg Zone. I'm going to screw that up. Go to go to his website. Uh, it's it's under. Uh, Feelingportis.com. Uh, uh, hang on. Is I, mean, he, I, I'm being is, a, I think he's under the uh, Channel Awesome umbrella. Uh, he used to be, oh, and used now to be. he's okay. not. Uh, hang on. Yeah, I, I used to be a regular denizen of the, the Channel Awesome. I watched a lot of the, the nostalgia critic videos and a lot of Lindsay Ellis's stuff. And yeah. I just sort of lost interest out of a, after a while. I think I kind of outgrew it. But th- uh, there's still some good work being done over there. It's Phelous.com. Phelous, P-H-E-L-O-U-S. Um, and he reviews a lot of... Uh, it's Bootleg Zones. Mm. Uh, he reviews bootleg action figures and toys. Oh, many fun. of which are super bizarre. And <laughs> I actually really, really love that whole... Yeah. That whole series in particular. Um, but I don't have a lot of time to watch a lot of YouTube stuff because I'm watching a whole season of television every mm-hmm. single week. Uh, but yeah, those are those are among my favorites. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Stephen. Uh, Dear esteemed hosts, first off, I want to say thank you for being an entertaining escape from a messed up world. I discovered you through the schmoes and have enjoyed the show ever since the TV Wheel episode. That was pretty early oh, on. Yeah, that was a while ago. Um, and since then, I've listened to every episode that came before and since. I find your banter and criticism extremely engaging and thought and thoughtful. Thank now that you. the sucking up is done, Ooh. on to the main point. Uh-oh. Oh, well. I could have stood a little bit more sucking up, but all right. Uh, as a person who lives a busy life with a full-time job, a wife, and two kids, I don't have a lot of time for TV, so I made the decision not to have cable. However, I've discovered that in my era there are several digital channels that play some tremendous and some not-so-tremendous classic TV that I've enjoyed since I was a kid watching Nick at Night with my parents. Because of those challenge- 
channels. I have even watched a few episodes of My Mother the Car. Yay. And it made me laugh even more because I was reminded of your commentaries. Also, I watched that episode of the Dick, Ca- Dick Cavett show where he interviewed Lucille Ball and her chill children Lucy and Desi Jr. And that reminded me of a show starring Desi Arnaz Jr. from the early 80s called Auto Man. Oh, we haven't. We still need to review that. Uh, you have so much to yeah, review. Yeah. He he suggests we do Auto Man. Uh, I discovered one of these uh, through digital channels, a show called Good Morning World. It stars Ronnie Shell and Joby Baker as morning drive DJs with Billy DeWolf as their boss. I think that's on our it list. It was Goldie sure. Hawn's television debut. Okay. Uh, lastly, I'd like to say thank you again for the work you put into this show. I know it's not as easy as setting up a couple of microphones and pressing record. When I listen to your show, I hear the effort and sincerity you put into it. Sincerely, Stephen, Kansas City. You know, there is so much entertainment available. You really don't have have to spend as much as you think. I think you have to spend a lot of money if you want to stay current. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be part of the conversation about Game of Thrones, you do have to pay for HBO. Yeah, or someone you yeah. know does anyway. Um, yeah, if you if you really want to keep up on all of the latest shows, and a lot of people do, mm-hmm. that's an option. But if you get a little less picky, you just get a little less like I have to be like, you know, on top of every single zeitgeist and you're comfortable like looking back into the history of television. A lot of shows are available on very cheap, sometimes free mm. streaming services, legal streaming services, uh, and it's endless hours yeah, of yeah. entertainment. I mean, shit. I mean, you can the, get the, a sh- the Shout Factory has a free app loaded with a lot of free content. If yeah. you like Jerry Anderson, those Super Marionation shows, sure. they're all on there for free. You just get them. Yeah. I mean, and, and and even if you like go for something relatively cheap, like I mean, you go for go for YouTube minimal subscription. Um, I mean, they have tons of I Love Lucy on there. The show was on forever. <laughs> just you know, it, it's actually been kind of cool to like. While everyone else is talking, oh, did you see Walking Dead? And I'd be like, no, but I watched my mother the car this week, and it was amazing. <laughs> I, I I do not follow Game of Thrones, but let me tell you about Fireball XL Five. Yeah, you know, have you heard the you good have... news about the One Hundred Lives of Blackjack Savage? <laughs> like we we, I, I don't recommend this to everybody because you know a lot of these shows suck. Like they would, I, I, David you Cassidy what, I'm, cover. It's not the worst thing we've ever seen. I probably wouldn't have gotten more than two episodes into it if I wasn't watching it for this show. I'd uh, probably been like, it's not. I got the gist of it. I don't need to keep going. <laughs> but like, there's a lot out there. You do not really need to pay for cable. You really don't. You can throw in a little bit of money down for one or two of the better streaming services. Save a lot of money. Have a lot of content. You just won't have cable. Yeah, and, and if you, you can live what? with that, that's a really good way to save a lot of money. You can have a good uh, conversation about Game of Thrones, but the conversation you have about the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage like, could land you a spouse. It it's like, it's going to be life. better. Yeah. That's a great pickup line. Have you heard about the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage? Mm-hmm. Well, sit down and let me tell you about something that's real. <laughs> I swear to God it's real. Mm-hmm. Here's a letter from Omar. Hello, Omar. Hi, Omar. Dear Bibbs and Whitney, I'm so glad you liked Sweet Vicious as much as I did. Oh, it's oh, so good. God, I love that show. Uh, uh, I hope it's not the last we've heard of it. I I think during the Emerald City episode, you guys mentioned the Disney show In a Heartbeat. I watched that show growing up, but for a period in my life, I thought I'd imagined it. I never <laughs> met anyone else who'd watched it. It is real. You can find clips of it on YouTube. The premise was super cool. Uh, high schoolers who were EMTs. I was 11. I wanted to do that when I grew up. <laughs> Fun trivia, the show premiered two days before um, 
mine and my sister's birthdays. I'm a triplet. Anyway, thanks. Uh, I think the EMT scenes are pretty dope and the cast isn't bad, but the show is really square. They have one juvenile offender and you can tell that he's bad news because he has black hair and some guitar picks. I still can't wait to hear your thoughts. I was also catching up on your Space Rangers episode. You mentioned Flash Forward, a show starring Ben Foster and Jewel Stati... State? Jewel State. Jewel State. I also watched this growing up. I was eight. I liked it a lot. I remember it being a super cute show and Jewel and Ben having excellent chemistry. I hope you can track that one down. Okay. Um, Also from that same episode, you mentioned the movie Big Trouble. I've seen it. It aired on TV in Saudi Arabia. Nice. We got some random stuff in Saudi. I grew up there. Anyway, the movie starred Tim Allen. It was pretty funny. Yeah. I really like Big Trouble. Uh, I still haven't seen it. You've talked about it a lot. It's really, really funny. It's got a good cast as Stanley Tucci and Zoe Deschanel and Ben Foster and uh, Jason Lee, Tom Sizemore, Dennis Farina. It's got a great cast. And uh, it has the unfortunate fate of a plot point about sneaking a nuclear bomb onto a plane. Which came out and right it was at the wrong time. about to be released like... In mid-September 2001, right when that wasn't so funny. Not so they had, funny at all. They had to hold it a year, and even after a year, it still wasn't funny, so nobody saw this movie. It's actually yeah. quite funny. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, bad timing. And, uh, it's just, it's just bad timing. You brought up an interesting point. The TV show You're Not 100% Sure was real. <laughs> we've all had that, especially if you grew up like without like mm. you know being able to press a button. And see what you're watching on TV at any given moment, mm. and get like the the name or year it came out, whatever. You didn't have IMDb. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of us like would just run into things. There was like short films that would air on PBS, and I couldn't tell you what they were, but I remembered their plot, and I've never been able to see them again. Mm. There's a show that I only just heard about, uh, and it was talked about on uh, John Oliver's HBO series last week tonight. Mm. That I need to track down in its entirety. Why isn't it on DVD? I spent the entire episode thinking that they had made this up and this was a bit. (laughs) It's a show called The Inspectors. Have you heard about The Inspectors? No. It is. It's a British show. No, it is an American crime drama that's been on for three seasons. Funded by the U.S. Postal Service. About postal inspectors. <gasps> yes. Where do you see it? the? It's on a Saturday gotta... morning, three-hour block of children's programming. It's got to be like I, I would think it was third only season, on like closed-circuit TVs inside post offices. It's the only place you could see something like that. Yeah, yeah. It looks fucking amazing. Go to like they put like this uh, his like episodes a lot of them on YouTube, like through HBO. Mm-hmm. Find it's a couple of weeks ago or months ago on last week tonight. John Oliver, just Google John Oliver the inspectors. Watch the segment, <laughs> and it's it's not topical because I know John Oliver really gets into the nuts and bolts, and sometimes mm. it's like really heavy, even though it's funny. And you know, you're not sure if you're in the mood for it. Skip everything. His he's a whole bit that's just about holy shit. The inspectors is a real show. <laughs> I looked it up, assuming it was on for only one season, and we get to review it. It's been it's just started its third season. Wow. I need to find every episode. May at last 18 seasons. God damn it. It's going to be like Degrassi. They'll just get new casts. They'll rotate through. Moving on. Uh, Here's one from Cecil. Hello, Cecil. Hi, Cecil. Uh, Hey, guys. My friend wants me to watch Star Wars, even though he hates it. I think he hates it. Okay. Here's a little exchange. Dude, you got to see Star Wars. You'll love it. Okay, should I start with episode four or one? Don't watch the prequels. They su- they suck. Start with four. Hmm. Okay, I'll watch them. Oh, and not the special editions. They added a bunch of crap. 
Okay, where can I find the non-special editions? You can't. No, no idea, but find it. <laughs> Guys, how can you like something that is this hard? You know what? Don't watch Star Wars. Just don't. You don't have to. You, well, you the, don't, but... The, I, the, the, world, the world has enough Star Wars in it. It has enough Star Wars fans. Hey, no, here's the... Joining no. that will not get you anything. Hang on. You don't have to join anything. Yeah. But Star Wars, particularly the first, the original trilogy, mm. for better or worse, mm. there are arguments from both sides, is one of the cultural touchstones. Where if you haven't seen Star Wars, if you made it this far mm. and you haven't seen Star Wars, when you watch Star Wars for the first <laughs> time, you're suddenly going to get a million references. Just all the, the lines people repeat from this damn Over movie. and over again. It's like when you watch like The Bridge in the River Kwai and you realize all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. Like predates <laughs> The Shining. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, or, or Citizen Kane. And you realize all of these like scenes from The Simpsons actually started here. Like, it's just one of these prime movies from which everything mm. else springs. And and of course Star Wars of course is this is you know the product of many influences on its own, but uh, yeah I, I think it's worth seeing. I, I, you don't have to join the cult. You might decide to. That's your call. It's your life. But I do think the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, the special editions aren't very good, but good luck finding the other ones right now. The original Star Wars trilogy, pretty great. Mm. I think uh, whether you're you're a huge fan or not. They're great movies. You should you should see that at least that original trilogy, and I think Force Awakens is pretty great too. Okay, yeah, you can skip the prequels. I'm sorry, they I've, do suck. I've learned this about Star Wars: you're not going to become a Star Wars person if you haven't seen Star Wars by a certain age. I think you, that's totally true. I think you need to have seen Star Wars by I guess age ten well, if you're going to become a true obsessive. Because I've met a lot of people who watched it later in life, and they they just don't really connect with it. I think there's a lot. I didn't see Star Wars until I was 18, so I just didn't really understand what the the big deal was. I I think that's true for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Star Wars, even though I do think it appeals to pretty much any age, I I don't think it's specifically only for kids or only for adults. I'm not talking about how it appeals to someone. I'm talking about how it how it kind of gets its hooks into you. You have to be... That's my point. No, that's my point. I, I think anyone can watch and enjoy Star Wars, but when you watch it when you're young... I think it's very keyed into this very childlike fantasy. Mm. And I think it is much easier to become really ingrained in it, like really kind of obsessed with it and want to absorb all this content. Much of the side content is produced just for kids. It's action figures and Mm. video games and Legos and um, all that stuff is just for kids. I think it's much easier to let your entire world become Star Wars if you're introduced to it when you're a kid and there's all this ancillary stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that, that is something Mer- I think about. Merchandising, though. Like, merchandising, well, where the real money from the movie is made. But I want you to think about it. Look at the last 10 years. And you're a film critic. You watch a lot of TV as well. You absorb a lot of content. Mm. Um, how many movies, TV shows, entertainment properties, stories, whatever, have you properly become fanatic about? And like that sense that we talk about, like people who love Star Wars. Like, how many in the last ten years? You're an adult. Oh, a couple like, things. Yeah, a couple. Like, yeah, 
like, like the movie Taken, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Step up movies. Master and Commander, Step Up 3D. There's been a couple things been a that, I, that I just sort of lost myself in. When you're a kid, you get obsessed with everything you watch, I think. I think it's much more easy to just, because you have fewer things on your mind. Uh-huh. Your standards haven't elevated enough. Like, you're really just willing to absorb and just let things be awesome. And... Yeah, I, I think like, as you get older, it's like harder to you do get, that. Get obsessed with Star Wars because your standards aren't good yet. <laughs> I love that. that. Star Wars is fine. But you know what I mean. There's a lot of shows that I like. I fucking loved He-Man when I was a kid. I fucking loved it. I had so many action figures. I had to have this like plastic trash can to keep all my He-Man action figures. <laughs> and I could never find like my Gwildor. He was like all the way down at the bottom. Oh, nobody I never cares bothered. about Gwildor. No one cares. I still had him. Uh-huh. I had to incorporate him sometimes. You know you buy, contract. You know why you buy Gwildor? Because you really want to ruin your dad's barbecue grill. That's <laughs> why you got a Gwildor. You got a new magnifying glass you've just been itching to try out. My point <laughs> is that He-Man is stupid. He-Man is dumb as it's, toast. I've seen a lot of the old like 1980s cartoons I grew up with. Some of them are okay. Like The real Ghostbusters is pretty good until they get to like the bullshit Slimer years. But like... Some of them bullshit Slimer. When they made Slimer like the center of the universe in Ghostbusters, that show started to suck him. They gave him an anthropomorphic cat rival. Yeah, yeah. it was terrible. But for a while, it was pretty good. And you know, some some of the shows hold up okay. He man is just a big sack of poo. Like it's just (laughs) so bad. It's so ugly and badly written and poorly conceived. Like nothing about it makes any sense whatsoever. To the point where it's a little charming, but, like, it's not a good show. I am embarrassed that I ever liked that show. Uh-huh. Like, it's so stupid. <laughs> right, I was so, a kid. I had low standards, yeah. is my point. So watch a Star Wars movie if you want. There's no... There's no... no You're not gonna... You don't yeah. have to join a cult. I think you'll like them, and I think you'll you'll realize just how significant Star Wars became. Here's a letter from Dan from Chicago. Dear good old W boys. That's us. Hey! A couple of times we were, like, having to, like, sort of divide things up between us in lists. No. And I would actually, like, I put a W for Whitney, because Whitney will do this one. Mm. And then I put a W for William, and I got halfway down the list, and I realized, oh, wait. You're just writing W's next to every line. <laughs> like nothing matters anymore. <laughs> uh, That's I just true. Want, I've done that multiple times. I just wanted to say how, because of William praising the new Battlestar Galactica, you made me into a big fan of the remake. Oh, and uh, we read this letter before, but he adds a P.S. Okay. A P.S. I would love to know if you guys would be interested in doing Caprica, the spinoff to the Battlestar Galactica remake. I would love to. I think we would need to bring in a special guest for that because Mm -hmm. I don't think Whitney's going to be able to make the time to sit down and watch the entire series of Battlestar Galactica so that Caprica would make sense. Would it not make any sense, or would my outsider view be an interesting well, here, perspective? I actually only watched the pilot of Caprica, so I'm not okay. 100% sure. Um, maybe. I mean, oh. we certainly keep you in the episode, obviously. It's like it might be worth bringing in someone who really knows Battlestar Galactica really, really well yeah. okay. to have that part of the conversation and have you contribute mm. as well, I guess is my point. Okay. But yeah, it's on our radar. It's certainly something we want to get to at some point. We just don't mm. want to do it like right away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more letters? Let's do it. All right. Uh, this one comes from Paul from New South Wales, Australia. Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. 
Um, hi, guys. Love your show and all of the wit you both put into it. Most of the wit is Whitney. Uh, I can, he's, he's cannot great. help but put wit into it. Yeah. I was a big fan of the CBS Crime Time after primetime programming in the early 1990s. As a shift worker near Chicago, these programs kept me company during what was my lunch. One of my favorites of these was Stephen J. Cannell's Cannell's, excuse me, scene of the crime. I don't know. I'm that. hoping that someday you review this pioneering show simply because it's raw, unique repertory format. Thanks again for a superb podcast, Paul. Uh, um, I'm actually not super familiar with scene of the crime. Which one yeah, is this? Steve, well, another know. Stephen J. Cannell. Oh, I had a regular cast. Canal play, joint. It's a regular cast. They play different characters in each episode. Nice. That's kind of neat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it lasted two seasons, though. Oh, sorry. We can't, will look into that on our it. own, but it doesn't fit our yeah. roles, unfortunately. Sorry. Mm. Neat, though. We really wanted, I really want to check that yeah. out. It had a cool cast. It had Kim Coates, Stephen McHattie. Oh, nice. That's cool. I like yeah. Kim Coates. Shit. Yeah, I'll check um, that out sometime. Uh, this is a letter relating to our De- Defenders of Dinatron City episode, Ooh. where we tried to come up with a superpower and an identity as quickly as we could. Yeah. So this is a challenge for us. Uh, hey, guys, here's some superpowers for you to create superhero names for. Okay. A homeless person who can teleport anywhere as long as it's not indoors. You call uh, him the outdoorsman. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Done. Done. Right, um, easy enough. A man who can change the molecular state solid liquid gas plasma of anything. Uh, presto change Ooh. Uh, s- side shift. Shift off. Electric shift. I don't know. I got no. Presto Changeo. <laughs> Presto Changeo is fine. Uh, someone who can transform the force of impacts, bullets, knives, collisions, by touching something and have it absorb the shock. Um, well, I mean, the shock absorber is kind of a, a, a gimme there. Uh, Connecticut Yankee. <laughs> Crash override. <laughs> oh, wait. That's from, that's from the movie Hackers. It is from the movie Hackers. That's fun, though. Thank you. <laughs> but we can keep that going. Send, everyone send more suggestions. We'll keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, one more letter. One more. All right. This is uh, this one comes from Paul, and this is about the Monster Squad. Oh, okay. Uh, holy fuck, you got! <laughs> holy fuck, guys, y'all should get a medal for sitting through that Hippo Drek. <sighs> that one was brutal, man. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, this came out when I was eight or nine, and I was as obsessed with monsters as any kid in the '70s could be. I had the entire series of Aurora Monster models, the glow in the dark ones. Oh, golly, I remember those. I don't. When I heard about this show, I was super pumped and couldn't wait to see it, and I didn't get through ten minutes of it. Even at that age, it was so stupid. I watched so much really crappy TV when I was growing up, I can't believe I have a brain left. (laughs) But this was even off the charts for me. By the time Drac Pack came out, I was too old and would soon be drooling over Elvira. (laughs) Anyway, your podcasts are the greatest. Oh, thank oh you. pshaw. And I was so sad to hear about the boneheads at Crave Online canning the Boo Movies podcast. Their loss, I say. <laughs> uh, hey, I wouldn't even have heard of uh, Crave Online had it not been for the podcast. Uh, if this were just a... Oh, if, this were a just world, you guys would be the new Siskel and Ebert. Oh, that's oh, really nice of you. It's man, we're, we, yeah, we, we, we do what we can. We, we were bad uh, at compliments, but thank you so much. <laughs> it's really nice of you to say. I, really I, I really that. dig Emerald City. And okay. it was good to hear uh, the one other person I know of on the planet who knows about the other L. Frank Bomb novels, and who knows <laughs> the true origin of the Tin Woodman, a.k.a. Nick Chopper. Plus, I was really stoked to find out that they had finally filmed a complete adaptation of Gulliver's Travels. It was re- it really frustrated me that they only other- ever filled either a quarter or a half of the whole story. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was maybe the... Hu- 
the primary feature of that miniseries. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, yeah. if you if you didn't hear that, um, uh, subscribers on Patreon get to hear a bonus episode every month. It's called the Cancel Too Soon Monthly Movie mm-hmm. uh, for five dollars and up. You get that bonus episode, and we talk about weird TV movies or miniseries that most people don't know about, don't talk about. Some of them are a little bit no, uh, notorious. And when mm-hmm. we talked about the Ted Danson version of Gulliver's Travels, it won a bunch of Emmys and it holds up pretty well. Actually, holds up pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah. He says he missed uh, Gulliver's Travels the first time around because I quit watching TV when Mork and Mindy came out. <laughs> Uh, that show just ended TV for me almost 20 years ago. <laughs> that wow. was the stupidest show ever. No. Mork and, yeah. Mork and Mindy is not even in the middle of the barrel. <laughs> We've seen so much yeah. worse. So much anyway, The second would stupid, kill for Mork and Mindy sometimes. Oh, just the, the refreshing, oh rich character work of Mork and Mindy. <laughs> uh, the second stupidest show ever, he says, was the show Madam's Place. You know Madam's Place? Do TV's I? Madam. September oh, yeah. 82 yeah. to 83 lasted one season, but I'd, I'd never want you to review it because I like you guys too much, and I don't oh, want to subject nice. you to that shit. Which means we're definitely going to oh, do it. Oh my god, it. we have to. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Had one season, 150 episodes. Yeah, maybe we'll wait on that We're, we're not going to get to that anytime mm-hmm. soon. I really <laughs> wanted to do the Jerry Anderson show, Joe 90, uh, which is uh, Super Mary Nation, the little puppets. Mm-hmm. Jerry Anderson, Sylvia Anderson did Thunderbirds, ah. uh, that camp of British TV, and Joe 90 is about a young boy, like a nine-year-old kid who is enlisted by his super spy father to be a spy, but in order to acquire the spy knowledge he needs, he, oh. sit, he sits in like this big spinning, whirling teaching machine, and it gives him the knowledge he needs for just one quest. The problem is, it, it, it was one season, but the problem is it's one 45-episode season. So it's going to take us a long time to get to something like Joe 90. Some of those longer one-season wonders. Bit of a slog. So, and, slog. and I'm not sure how much Joe 90 I can really stand. Like, I've seen a couple episodes, and it's fine for three or four, but can I stand 45? We'll see. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Like, different... We think of seasons as lasting 22 episodes, 10 Max, episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just the initial order of the show. And for, like, cheap entertainment, mm-hmm. kids' entertainment, often, they really want to crank out a whole bunch right away. And sometimes it gets... Yeah, especially like with a daily program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's one show uh, um, I've been wanting to find in its entirety. I think it's only one season. Let me double check here. <laughs> uh, they, IMDb says no episodes were made. That's bullshit. I've seen a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of want to do Mighty Mr. Titan. Oh, jeez. Mighty Mr. Titan was a 1960s cartoon series that was basically a big, uh, a, a big brawny guy who just... Tells the audience to do sit-ups for three minutes and then stops. Uh. And the whole idea is, like, we need, like, kids to be big and strong so we can send them off to war. I think it was a a government-sponsored thing. I've seen... I think it was, yeah. I've seen uh, Jerry Beck, the animation historian, has shown a couple episodes in, like, public venues of Mighty Mr. Titan. Yeah, Jerry Beck has a great uh, series he's done at Comic-Con for forever called Mm. The Worst Cartoons Ever. And uh, he is not lying. Mighty Mr. Titan makes a a regular appearance there. I want to do... I think Spunky and Tadpole only had one season. I want to do Spunky and Tadpole oh, so so much vomitous mass in the world. <laughs> if you think kids shows like so like Monster v- Squad are bad, keep going further back. <laughs> Just it gets worse so, every decade. Every decade they get worse. So for the people who are put off of all TV forever because of Mork and Mindy, oh my goodness. Uh, 
there, the, it just keeps on going. It's we a long way so down. We don't have to. Is basically the long and short of we it. We suffer because we like to. I think. Yeah, That's we kind of do. Kind of our, our, can, our plight. It's the only way it can get back to normal anymore. Nah. <laughs> Cancel like, too soon. It's the only way to get back to normal. I have no taste buds. I have to eat super spicy foods because I only have one taste bud left. So everybody, thank you so much for listening uh, to the latest episode of Cancel Too Soon. Again, you can email us canceltoosoon at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at cancelcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, you can also listen to our other podcasts, Critically Acclaimed, on the Schmoes No mm-hmm. iTunes feed. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, hear that on other services as well. You can listen to it on YouTube at SK Plus, uh, yeah. if that's your back. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week with a review of Fishing with John. We're also going to have some fun Christmas-related content uh, exclusively through Patreon. We're going to be reviewing the TV remake of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Marlo Thomas from That Girl and Orson Welles. <laughs> Very much looking forward to that. Uh, and we came up with another idea for a bonus episode, which I think we're probably going to like distribute for everybody, because uh-huh. it's both the best and dumbest idea I think I've ever had. <laughs> I'm really excited for it's the worst <sighs> thing. <laughs> okay, here we go. I think it'll be fun though, and if, yeah. I think it'll be fun uh, uh, a holiday treat for anybody who uh, <laughs> has nowhere to go. <laughs> Basically, it's the only reason you'd listen to it. It's the stupidest thing. <laughs> I can't wait to share it. Um, so, everybody, thank you again. Um, have a great holiday season, and uh, we will see you next week. Mm-hmm. That's a wrap, folks. See you next season. Thank you.